Well, good morning, church family. It's good to see you all today. Guys, we've got good news, right? Really, really good news. You are five days away, five days away before it's socially acceptable to begin singing Christmas music and decorating your house with Christmas stuff, right? Five days. Now, let me ask you a question, though. How many of you have already started to listen to music or decorating your house with Christmas stuff? Okay, keep your hands raised. Everybody look around. We need to pray for these people and intervene for these people for violating this standard rule. Come on, you guys know better than that. Uh, Obviously, it means Advent is right around the corner. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to start our Advent series here. And as you got a glimpse of it from the announcements with April this morning, there's a lot going on in our church. And we would love for you to come and share in the Advent season with us as we get to celebrate and anticipate uh, the incarnation, the, the miraculous birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, It's going to be a beautiful season and beautiful time. Before we do that, though, we want to finish out Missions Month, which is what we've been doing really through the course of November. But if you you even think about this theme of taking promises to all people, we've really been talking about this for at least two months. We, We talked about it in October and November in terms of how do we take these promises to our community and to our world. And, and that's been such a, a, hopefully, an encouraging conversation for you all as it has been for me. And, and one of the ways that I want to begin today as we have this last Sunday to really emphasize it is just to acknowledge some of the folks that consistently serve in different ministry areas that really help our church live into this missional identity of taking these promises to our community in our world. And, and so here in a second, I'm going to ask some of you to stand. None of y'all know that I've decided to do this, and so hopefully you'll be willing to do it. But I'm going to ask some of you to stand if you, have her, if you have helped serve in either our local or global efforts. Okay, so let, let me start with the local ministries, and, and let me kind of list them off. If you have helped with our ESL ministry, uh, teaching English as a second language, if you have helped in our, our mission house, distributive food, if you've helped with our apartment ministries at Morningside or Times Square, Luz del Mundo, if you've worked at Seminary Hills, anything that we do to, to locally engage, Presbyterian Night Shelter, you name it, would you all please stand for a moment and just remain standing if you help in those areas? Awesome. Look at that. It's incredible. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to clap for you again here in a second, but stay standing, stay standing, stay standing. If you have helped serve internationally at all, if you have gone uh, to the border ministry, if you've done uh, um, uh, India, not India, if you've done Cambodia, if you've done Guatemala, if you've done Africa, if you've done some of those places, uh, would you also please stand and join those folks today? All right, we've got even more folks standing today, which is awesome. Now, let's clap for these wonderful people. Stay standing, stay standing. The reason I want you to stay standing is if, if you haven't had a chance to engage with, with this church's outreach to the community of the world, look around. These are people that you can go talk to. Get their stories, get information, uh, ask what it's like. If, if you feel led to serve in any capacity, these are some great representatives of our church that are consistently doing this. Now, Simon says, please be seated. Uh, thank you all for your faithful commitment and for helping create such a wonderful missional identity of the church. Uh, there's, there's no way to emphasize all the stories enough, all the different ways that you can get engaged through the life of this church to engage the community and the world. So I hope that, that each of you will walk through the course of these last two months and think through what that looks like for you. And so that being said, let me just pray uh, for all these folks that have stood and the rest of us as we seek to honor God with these commitments. Father in heaven, we thank you for the many ways that you have created opportunities for us to take these promises to all people. Uh, we thank you for the, for the consistent 
uh, volunteering and servant-heartedness of so many people that, that come in on a weekly basis and provide food or teach English or go to different communities around uh, this city or for those that are willing to sacrifice their time and their money and, and vacation and all those different things to go across the world. Um, God, we pray that their stories would continue to uh, just create a culture here that desires to, to honor you no matter where it may lead and no matter what it may cost. Um, and God, that you would continue to awaken our heart to love all people and to love them well and to love them fiercely in a manner that brings you glory. God, now as we anticipate uh, the, the opening of your word, your, your sacred text, God, I pray that it would have that weight upon us, that this would be more than just some story, God, that we would see it as something that has endured for thousands of years and has truly shaped the hearts and minds of men and women for centuries. And God, that the, the reality of that would press heavily upon us today as we would take it to heart and we would receive it wholeheartedly in a manner that changes us. And we know that's only possible through your spirit, through your guiding, through your leading. And so we submit ourselves to you in this moment and to your glory. Through the mighty name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, church, uh, I've got some sad news for you. It's our last Sunday in Acts. Can you believe it? I know. Well, pro not forever, okay, but at least for the foreseeable future. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 13. We've spent the better part of this year in the book of Acts, and I, I love it. I, I could camp out here for the next two years if we wanted to, but we're going to move on uh, beginning in Advent and into the 2020. But what we're going to do as we begin today is a little bit of what I did last week. We're going to read a few verses in Acts chapter 13, but I'm going to recap some important events that take place in the end of chapter 11 and through chapter 12 as we transition to 13. So if you want to follow along with me, you can. You can just kind of uh, navigate your, your Bibles accordingly. But last week we talked about the gospel arriving to Cornelius in, in this just this drastically human history altering moment where we see the gospel move from Jew to Gentile and, and how significant that was, not just because it was transcending culture and, and barrier and ethnicity and all those different obstacles, but it, as we talked last week, it was transcending racial and religious prejudices as well, right? It, it was, it was uh, destroying this, this wall of hostility that divided people for centuries, and it's such a remarkable text for us to consider. And we, we talked last week how that's something that needs to happen in our lives, that when God calls us to a radical and unyielding love for the neighbor, we should do so without hesitation, right? And, and that means taking us to places that we don't always anticipate. And so that's, that's kind of what we get recapped for us in chapter 11 is Peter's interaction with Cornelius. Now, once you transition out of that, Luke takes us back to the reference of persecution, right? If you remember when Stephen was martyred in chapter 7, at the beginning of chapter 8, it says that on that day, a great persecution broke out and many people were scattered. You remember that? So like on the day that Stephen is killed, there's this massive persecution and the believers are scattered around the region. And so chapter 11, the second part of chapter 11, refers back to that scattering and says for some of them, they were scattered as far as Phoenicia and, and Cyrene and, and Antioch. Okay, And so you have this reference of these different cities. And, and it's telling us at this part of chapter 11 that most of the people that were scattered would continue to share the gospel with the Jews in those cities and in those regions. But, but that a few people, a few men from Cyprus and Cyrene in particular, began to share with the Greeks and Antioch. 
And so you continue to see this progression unfold, that, that Cornelius wasn't an isolated event. We're literally watching the unfolding of the gospel moving from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and now to the ends of the earth. And so we're introduced to this church in Antioch, and we're seeing that the Greeks are beginning to believe. So word of this gets back to uh, the, the disciples, and, and we begin to see how they're going to respond. Now, one of the things I love about this progression is that in chapter 11, it says that the hand of the Lord was on them, and many people turned and believed. And can I just tell you today, church, that's my prayer for us. Right? I mean, if, if you want to just know like, what it is that burns within me and what I desire for it to burn within us is that, that wherever God may lead, no matter what we do or how we may do it, that it would be evident that his hand is with us and that a great number of people would turn and believe, that we would be overrun with baptisms and stories of transformation because not, not of our own doing, but because God's hand was with us. And so I invite you to join me in that prayer and desire it and and eagerly expect it. That's what was going on with this church in Antioch. And so as, as the folks in Jerusalem get wind of this and say, hear about this, they, they decide to send Barnabas to go and check in on things. And so Barnabas uh, enters back into our story. And, and I love the way that Barnabas engages the church in Antioch. It says that he encouraged them to stay true to the Lord with all their heart. I love this, the numerous examples we get from Barnabas. And that's one of the first ones, right? That that for us, when we follow Jesus, that's a reminder that we don't just give him part of our life. We don't just give him a segment of our life. We give him our whole heart. And that's what Barnabas was encouraging them to do. And, and I love the picture that we get of Barnabas in this church. And it's a good example for you and me that when we gather together, what we're trying to do is encourage one another to stay true to the Lord with our whole hearts. Because I know that there are days that you, you gather here or, or during the week, and it's a hard season. Right? There's, there's temptation, there, there's failure, there's mistakes, there, there's uh, uh, grief, there, there's challenges, there's apathy, all these things that can weigh us down. But when we gather together as a body of Christ, we look into each other's lives and we encourage one another. We say, stay true. Stay true to the Lord with all your heart. That, that's the work of the church. And that's what Barnabas is using in his example. The other thing I love from Barnabas, the way he's described here in chapter 11, is it says he was full of the Holy Spirit and he was bringing a great number of people to the Lord. And, and I was reading that and I was thinking, if that could be true and be said of me. You ever think about that when you're reading the scriptures? And, and I wonder, if you were to think about people in your life that knew you, knew how you lived and watched you on a regular basis, would they say that you were full of the Holy Spirit? Is that something that you think would be evident in your life? Now, you may be sitting there thinking, well, how would I know if, if people would be able to discern that? What does that even look like to have a life that's full of the Holy Spirit? And, and I think the scriptures clearly explain it, especially in Galatians, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, but is that how you live? Is that evident? Now, the other thing that we see from Barnabas is it's not just the fruit of the Spirit, but he was bringing people to the Lord. So should we. And so I want you to be thinking, not just today, but, but almost every day, who is it that you are helping bring to the Lord? Who has God placed in your life? Where is he sending you so that you can say, I'm going to help bring you to the Lord? That's another evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. This is what we see in Barnabas. So, so Barnabas is here in Antioch, and he decides that he's going to go get Saul. 
right? Barnabas was the one person that took a risk to, to introduce Saul to the apostles, and he, he welcomed him in, and so he knows that Saul's back in Tarsus, so he goes and he finds Saul, brings it back, and for a year they stay in Antioch teaching and encouraging the church there. Now, at some point, a prophet comes down from Jerusalem and, and predicts a famine that's going to happen throughout the region, and so they begin to prepare for it, and the church there says, you know, for those of us that are able, let's send some gifts to, to, the, to the folks in Judea through Saul and through Barnabas so that they can be encouraged. And, and so you kind of have this decision that that's going to be what they do. Now, as that story begins to resolve, you get to chapter 12, and we're brought back into the level of persecution that's currently going on. Right? We, we're told that this persecution continues and that James, the brother of John, has even been put to death by the sword. And so we see the seriousness to which uh, the early believers are facing persecution for their faith. And it even tells us that Peter has now been seized by Herod and thrown in prison. Now, he was in prison during Passover. So this is, this is a pretty interesting way that these events, events unfold because it seems that Herod is going to make a spectacle of Peter. Right? He's the leader. He's the, he's the one in charge, more or less. And so we're going we're gonna to put him on trial in front of everyone. We're going to put an end to this movement. But, but it's during Passover. So we need to wait until Passover is complete. And so Herod puts him in prison, and just to make sure nothing happens, he assigns four sets of guards of four. Right, so a total of 16 men throughout the day, rotating in groups of four, keeping an eye on Peter while he's in prison. So it tells us that in the middle of the night, Peter's laying there. He's got guards on either side of him. When an angel of the Lord appears, wakes him up, breaks his chains, and leads him out of the prison. And, and the Bible tells us that Peter at first thinks it's a vision. He, he doesn't even understand what's happening until he's actually outside the walls and he comes to and realizes he's actually been set free. And so he runs to a house where all the believers had been gathering and praying, Mary, the, the, the mother of John, and, and they're sitting there and they're praying. And Peter comes to the door and the servant girl, Rhoda, comes to the door and it says that she recognizes Peter's voice. And I love this. She recognizes his voice, but rather than open the door, she runs back and tells everybody Peter's there. And, and I love just the funniness of that, I guess. So she goes back. She's like, y'all, Peter's at the door. And, and they're like, no, they're, no, he's not. Because if he was, you would have let him in, right? And, and so they're like trying to comprehend it. And she goes, no, really? And they go and they, they get him in. And they're just astonished that he's, he's made it out. So he reports of this miracle and how he'd been set free. And then he moves to another place. Now Herod, the next day, discovers that Peter's gone and he's enraged, he has the whole prison searched, and nobody can find him, and so he has all those guards executed. And, and so we get a glimpse into Herod's personality, and, and that's kind of how chapter 12 ends, is with this, this really fascinating picture that, that Luke gives us. And, and he uses Herod as an example. So he tells us that Herod was greatly admired by the people, to the point that in certain areas they were actually declaring him a god, as opposed to just a mere man. And so Herod embraces this adoration, embraces these, these words of praise, and so the Lord strikes him down and his body passes away and he's eaten by worms. And then the next line is, but the word of the Lord continued to spread and to flourish. And I love that picture. Here's a king with all power, with, with all wealth, with all luxury, with all comfort, and ultimately his life comes to nothing, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Can't stop it. That's where the real power is. And that's what Luke is painting a picture of for us. And then he gives us this transitional statement where, where Saul and Barnabas return from their gifts and return to the church in Antioch. And in chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, we're introduced in more detail to the church in Antioch. Follow along with me in verse 1. 
Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. Now while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Hey, I love this picture that we get from the church in Antioch. What we see with the church in Antioch is that it is a sending church. That's the picture that we get. They, they take uh, Saul and Barnabas and they send them off. And, and that serves as a wonderful example and a template for us. That's what we wanna talk about today is what does it mean to be a sending church? And we get some wonderful principles and some wonderful guidelines from the church in Antioch this morning. Several things that I want to highlight for us today in terms of what it means to be a sending church. The first thing that I think is fairly obvious in this description in chapter 13 is that a sending church always adheres to the word of God. Right, what, what's the first thing we're told? The church at Antioch had teachers and prophets. Now, now what does that mean? If you, if you look and study those words, a, a prophet is someone that simply reveals the divine utterances, reveals a divinely inspired message, a word of the Lord. Now, yes, sometimes prophets can foretell certain events, as we saw in chapter 11, somebody come down, coming down and talking about this upcoming famine. So that, that is an element of prophecy, but at its, at its core, prophecy is simply revealing the word of the Lord. Now, a teacher is often mentioned alongside prophet because they have a similar role, but, but in its more simple definition, a teacher is someone that can exposit the word, that can explain the word with clearer understanding. And that's Saul. I mean, think about the numerous examples that we're going to end up finding as he ends up composing so much of the New Testament where he takes these scriptures of old, he takes the Old Testament, and he clearly explains them to new people that this is what Jesus was fulfilling. He is a, a teacher. That's what teachers do. They, they help exposit with clear understanding the word of God. And so ascending church always adheres to the word of the Lord. It's going to see God's word as authoritative. It is going to be a biblically guided church. And when you embrace that, what you discover is that when God speaks, he sends. He sends Abram to a new country. He sends Moses to Pharaoh into the promised land. He sends Jesus to the earth. He sends the church to the world. That's who our God is. He sins. And the more and more that you and I submit ourselves to the word of God, we're going to hear the voice of our Savior echo in our ears and in our hearts. Right? We hear it with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples. Where? Of all nations. There's not a corner of the earth he's not sending you to. You can turn to how it's referenced in the Gospel of John, like in chapter 17 and 20. In chapter 17, it's a prayer. Chapter 20, it's a command, but it says essentially the same thing. As the Father has sent me into the world, so I am sending you. Make no mistake, church, when we adhere to the word of God, what we're gonna see is we have a sending God, we have a sending Savior, and we must be a sending church. Now, that's the first thing that we see as an example from the church in Antioch. Now, the other thing that we see is that this, this church in Antioch was diverse. Right? The, the men that are listed here these names, if, if you were to really study their regions and their, their cultural backgrounds, this is a diverse church. And these, these leaders represent the ethnic and cultural diversity that existed in Antioch. And I love that. Ascending church should be a diverse church. Now, one of the things I want to point out about the diversity that's referenced here is that it existed in the leadership. 
It existed amongst the teachers and the prophets, and I love that, right? So it's not like that as this gospel is unfolding, it's not as if they're saying, hey, this is for you. You can believe in this, but those who need to maintain power, those that need to maintain authority, well, that's just the Jews. That's just the apostles, right? They don't have a stranglehold over authority. What we're seeing is that the Holy Spirit is not showing any sign of discrimination as it is gifting people from every region, from every, every area to step up and to teach and to edify and to lead the church. I love that. Now, what a diverse church does in the realm of sending is I think it better equips us to be a sending church for a couple of different reasons. First of all, we live in a diverse world. And so if we want to reach a diverse world, it helps us to be a diverse people, right? The, the more that we are diverse within our walls, the more capable we're going to be to reach the diversity beyond our walls. But, but here's why I think that becomes so important. If we have a church or, or a Christian experience or a faith where we typically just associate with people that are like us, look like us, think like us, act like us, view like us, guess what? Our hearts are gonna be stirred for people like us. But the more we rub shoulders with people who are not like us, the more our hearts are gonna be stirred for people who are not like us, right? The more that we see diversity within the church, the greater proximity we get to this vision that is laid out for us in Revelation, that God's plan and the ultimate acclamation of his worship is going to be every tongue, tribe, and nation falling before his throne. And so the more we can glimpse that in this life, the more likely we are to pursue it for the life that is to come. Right? So ascending church embraces the importance of diversity, even within its own midst. And that helps us have a heart, not just for people that are like us, but the people that are not like us. Now, probably the, the, the central thing that it's not the last thing, but one of the main things I want us to consider this morning that we also see with the church in Antioch is that ascending church knows how to listen. Ascending church is a listening church, right? And so for us to really embrace what we have taught for us here in these first three verses, let's, let's think about who is this church listening to and how are they listening? Some very important takeaways here. The, the first answer to those questions are pretty easy. Who is it that they're hearing? The Holy Spirit. I mean, it says it right there for us. Right, in verse, which verse is it? Verse two, the Holy Spirit said. That's who's speaking. And, and this has been a dominant theme through the book of Acts. We've talked about this. As Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, now we have the comforter that's sent. We have the great counselor. We have the Holy Spirit that now begins to speak to his people. That, that's been one of the promises that we talked about when we started this journey this year, that we wanted to look at the book of Acts and discover the promise of the Holy Spirit and the promise of the church. And the Holy Spirit continues to be a central figure in the narrative of the book of Acts. So who's speaking the Holy Spirit? When we look at the church of Antioch, we are seeing a people who know how to listen to the Spirit. And, and that's probably where we want to really kind of spend some time, is, is how have they learned how to listen to the Spirit? William James Jennings, I'm paraphrasing, but he has a great observation to say, whenever men and women commit themselves to the disciplines that help attune their bodies to the hunger of the Spirit, then we're better able to hear what the Spirit is saying and how it is guiding. I love that. But the question is, what are those disciplines that help attune our bodies to the hunger of the Spirit? Well, well, several things. The first one, I want to kind of lump them all together, that you have these references to worship, prayer, and fasting. 
And, and they're, they're not used synonymously, they're, they're not necessarily interchangeably, but they're all very complementary and they're reinforcing the main idea. That the main practice that you're probably seeing emphasized and described here is prayer. Right? That, that was the, the chief function of worship. And, and I can't continue, or I can't say it enough with, with, within our context today too, that the church has to be committed to prayer. Right? I mean, it has to be the foundation of everything we do. We talk about it all the time, that prayer is not equipping us for the greater work. It is the greater work. And that's what we see being laid out here with the church in Antioch. Prayer is, is one of the primary avenues with which they are opening themselves up to hear and to listen to the Holy Spirit. Now, the way that they do that is somewhat intentionally. Right? They're doing it in the context of worship. They're doing this in the context of fasting. And we've talked about the importance of fasting before as well, haven't we? And so fasting would be denying yourself something that is instinctive for your body, typically food. But it, but it could be anything that awakens some form of craving within you physically. And the reason I think fasting is so important is because prayer should not just be a, a soulful experience. It should be a full body experience, right? It should engage all the senses. And when we fast, right, and Jesus says, listen, while I'm here, my disciples don't need to fast, but when I'm taken from them, absolutely you should fast. You should long for me. You should long for my voice. You should long for my return. And so when we deny ourselves certain things, it makes us hunger. We, we redirect those physical cravings to a hunger and a thirst for our Savior and for his voice. So it's an incredible way for us to be intentional. And that's why I've, I've put that in front of us consistently is for, for at least as a church, if you would be willing to set aside at least one day a month for prayer and fasting, and if you would really heighten that intentionality, and if you would think collectively, that, that would mean that us as a church, every day of every month would be covered through intentional prayer and fasting if we did that well. So I want to put that in front of you again, right, the necessity of that, the way it opens your heart to hear what it is that God is prompting you to do, and the intentionality with which we can pursue it through the aspects of th something like fasting. So let me ask this morning, how is your prayer life? What's it look like? Right, does it have that intentionality? You know, I, I don't know where you fall. I think sometimes we can be somewhat casual with our prayer life, and in some ways this is good, right? Because we think, well, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'll pray on my way to work, I'll pray in the car on the way to school, and yes, by all means, do that. Pray continually, pray without ceasing to the best of your ability. But can I challenge you too that if you don't have that intentional time of your day that you have set aside just for prayer and strive for that, engage body, mind, and soul with your posture, kneel before the Father if you're able. Embrace solitude, embrace quietness, embrace stillness and open your heart and just listen. Listen, if our, if our prayer life isn't there, it's going to be incredibly hard for us to truly hear what it is that God is saying. We, we started this year asking that question, is your life in step with the Spirit? And if we desire that, we have to move forward with this sort of intentionality of prayer and fasting and worship. Now, the other thing that I think is really insightful about how this is being revealed to the church in Antioch is not only are they hearing the word of the Lord through prayer and fasting, but they're hearing it in the context of community. I love that. Now, this is really important because the Spirit is not just speaking to an individual. He's speaking to a community, speaking to a group. And, and this group hears this word, and you know what they do? They test it. 
right? Because what does it say after the Spirit speaks? So then they what? They prayed and fasted some more. So the Spirit speaks, they hear it as a community, and they say, okay, we, we feel like the Lord is saying this, we, we've heard this word, let's, let's pray and fast, let's test this out again and make sure. And that is so important. When the Lord speaks, it's almost always in the context of community. Right? There, there, is, there is absolutely a beauty in the fact that this, this faith, this relationship with Christ is personal. It is individual. And yes, he can speak to you personally. But when he speaks, you should take what he speaks and bring it to community and test it out. Things done in isolation can very easily go awry. So when God prompts you towards something, when he stirs something, you should bring that to your discipleship group. You should bring that to your Sunday Connect group. You should bring that to some form of network of community of believers and test this out and see how God continues to lead. My life is a great example. Because for a majority of my life, I was like, God is leading me this way. And I would have been convinced, I would have told you absolutely. And it was a good thing. It was a noble thing. It was a, it was a ministry directive thing. But as I continue to live in the context of community and share those sorts of callings and promptings and urgings and people looked in on my life and looked at what God was doing in my heart, you know what they said? They said, you know what? We actually see that God might be leading you this way. And I had to stop and, and, and submit my own interpretations to the context of community. And that was so much more powerful and so much more enriching. Everything that the Spirit speaks, it does so in the context of community. And that's what it should look like for us. But, but here's the most encouraging thing that I think we can take away from this section of Acts 13 as it relates to the Spirit speaking is the reality that the Spirit speaks. <laughs> Luke is dispelling any sort of notion that we have a God that is just whispering occasionally from time to time. The Spirit is speaking. Clearly, we must just simply ask, are we actually listening? That's the question, and that's why these, these disciplines of how we listen are so vitally important. Now, the last thing that we see here that I want to point out for you this morning is somewhat obvious, but it's probably the most important. Ascending church doesn't just adhere to the word of the Lord. Ascending church doesn't just embrace diversity. Ascending church doesn't just stop and listen. Ascending church sins. I love that. Right? Because how often do we do the first three without ever actually following through? We'll study the Word of God, we'll pray about the Word of God, we'll talk about the Word of God, we'll figure out what it means in Greek, and we'll have all these different books that we can read on, we'll do all these different things, but we have to follow through. The church in Antioch, they didn't just hear and reason and listen and analyze ascending church sins. That's exactly what they did. Now, now listen to the challenges and yet also the thrill of that. So what does the Spirit say? Set apart from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. I love this, right? So we get this notion that when the Spirit speaks, he sets people apart. That there are specific callings that we need to respond to, both individually as well as corporately. But what is often revealed for us in Scripture is that a lot of times when he calls us, those things aren't specific. This is another vague instruction. Set them aside. For what, Lord? Well, for the work. What work? Give me the details. There were no details that were laid out for this calling. And isn't that common? Right? Go to the land that I'll show you. Right? How many times do we see more of a vague description from the Lord? And why is that? 
Because our impulses are to want the details, right? When the Lord speaks, we respond by going, okay, okay, I hear you. Tell me where, tell me when, tell me how much, tell me why, tell me who, and then I'll tell you if I will. And we want those details and those specifics, and the reality is that's not really the sort of faith that God desires from us. <laughs> he wants us to step out with risk. He wants us to step out with the spirit of adventure, with the spirit of boldness. Can I say something to you, church? Following Jesus should be some of the most thrilling, risk-taking, adventuresome experiences of your life. It's getting out of the boat and stepping out onto the waters, having no idea if your feet will fail. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That's the way that he calls us out. And so he could be speaking to you. He could be calling you. He could be stirring you. And you may be asking for the details, but what he really wants from you is that adventure. He really wants you to take that risk. He really wants you to say, yes, I trust you, even if I don't have all these things figured out. And that's what we see evidenced here with the church in Antioch. Now, the other component about this sending that they take place is by looking at that actual word, right? They, they call apart, they set apart Saul and Barnabas, they lay hands on them, they pray over them, and then they do what? They send them. And I love that word. That, that word send actually means to set free or release. <laughs> I think that's such a cool image. I mean, if you think about it, it's, it's almost like something had been restraining them. Something had been holding them back, and they were just waiting to be unleashed. They were just waiting to be set free. That, to me, is a lot of what it feels like when we feel God call and stir us, right? Here's, here's an image that I would suggest to you this morning, right? It's almost as if all of us have this fire within our heart and our souls that could spread to our bones. And the devil will do everything he can to convince you it's not there, to snuff it out, and to make it just a faint, smoldering ember somewhere in the distance so that you become somewhat lifeless and routine and complacent and distant. That's the work of the devil. But when the spirit speaks, he ignites it to flame. And it begins to grow and grow and it consumes your very soul, it consumes your heart, and it spreads to your bones to where you can't contain it. And even though you don't know the details and you have the risk and you have the uncertainty, you say, I know I have to go. And you step out because that fire has been set to flame and you long to be released. That's the sort of sending that we want to do. to Set that fire ablaze within our souls. So sending church does all these things. All right, they adhere to the word of the Lord. They embrace diversity. They listen to the Holy Spirit. And then they sin. And so the question this morning, church, is very simple. Where is the Spirit sending you? But I would challenge you to not just ask that question through the lens of isolation, through the lens of independence, but spread that question out within these walls, within this room, and ask, where is the Spirit sending us? Where are we to go? How are we to live in this identity of being a sending church? Now, here's how I want to close our time. I want to close our time with something a little bit different. I'm going to guide us through some time of prayer. And towards the end of this guided prayer, I'm going to ask you to respond um, even somewhat physically. Uh, and, and I'm going to ask you to do it in the spirit of prayer. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed through the whole thing. And I realize that that might be a little different and uncomfortable, but I'm okay with that. 
Uh, I want us to embrace it. And, and, and the sort of response I'm asking you to do is to demonstrate your readiness to respond to what God is prompting. So first, why don't you just close your eyes and bow your heads and let's enter into a spirit of prayer for a moment. And I want you to just stop and listen. Empty your heart, empty your mind of any distractions and just listen. I want you to ask God, Father, where are you sending me? Go ahead and ask him. I want you to listen for maybe names of people you need to invest in. Maybe it's a place you need to go. Maybe it's something you need to do. But ask him, Lord, where are you sending me? I want you to ask him, Lord, where are you sending us? I want you to think about this church. I want you to think about who we are where he's placed us. I want you to ask the Lord, where are you sending us? I just want you to listen. And now I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. Maintain this posture of prayer, but I'm going to ask you to respond in a physical and a tangible way as a way to demonstrate your readiness to hear from the Lord before your creator. And so if you're here today and you feel that fire within your heart, within your soul, and it's spreading within your bones, and you know God is sending you to do something, maybe you know the details, maybe you don't, but you can feel it and you desire it to be released. Keeping your eyes closed, would you please stand and acknowledge your readiness before your creator? Maybe you're here this morning and you desire that fire to be lit. And for whatever reason, it's, it's not there. Maybe you're dealing with grief Maybe you're dealing with apathy, complacency. Maybe you're dealing with temptation or heartache or hurt. Maybe you don't even know how to ask for it, but you want that to be set to flame. Would you demonstrate your readiness and your desire for God to speak to you in such a way by standing before your creator, keeping your eyes closed? Would you stand? For the rest of us, if we'd be willing to commit to be this sort of church that is willing to send, that is willing to encourage, that is willing to support those who have this fire ignited with them for a particular time, for a particular purpose, or for those that are earnestly desiring it, if we would in any way support and encourage and live out this call to be a sending church, would the rest of us please stand and demonstrate our willingness and our commitment to do so as a church family.
Father in heaven, we ask, God, that you would send us. Here we are, Lord. We stand before you ready and willing, eager and expectant to be sent by you. We ask, God, that you would lead us to all the places that you would prompt us, God. We think about where your spirit leads. And so, God, we ask that you would send us to the neighbor with a radical and unyielding love. God, that you would send us beyond our prejudices, beyond our biases, God, and you would help us to demonstrate that love to whoever you bring in our midst. God, that you would send us to the orphan. You would send us to the widow. You would send us to the foreigner among us. And we would go expectant. We would go boldly. God, that you would send us even to the hardest reaches of the earth, the hardest places, even those where, where there is tremendous persecution, that we would not be timid, we would not be fearful, God, but that we would be bold because we know your hand is with us. God, that you would send us to this community. God, that you would send us to the broken, hurting people, that you would send us to the abused as well as to the abuser, to the victim as well as to the enemy, that we could demonstrate love and forgiveness and reconciliation to all. God, that you would send us to different neighborhoods and schools and apartments and areas within this community, God, that we would be willing to go and we would rise up and we would say, yes, Lord, send me. Father, send us. Spirit, lead us. For our faith is without borders. God, lead us so that we can walk on the waters that you lay before us and that we would go wherever you call us because we are your church. And we know that just as you sent Christ, you send us. In Jesus' precious and holy name, we pray these things. Amen and amen.